0: Hi, I'm Chris Riley. Welcome back to Inside the Game, brought to you by FlexCoach and FlexCoach VR. We're talking with Kenny Albert. Kenny, let's get into when you're preparing to call a game. What's the process like for you? What do you have to do to prepare yourself to get ready to call a game? Is there a difference between the television side and the radio side when you do a
1: game? You know, it's a great question, Chris, and it's the number one topic that I talk about with young broadcasters when I speak at sportscasting camps with High school and, and college students uh, throughout every year. Uh, the preparation to me, I learned at a young age uh, from my father, from my uncles, from other broadcasters who I knew. Preparation is the most important aspect uh, to doing play by play or color or hosting in a studio, uh, whatever facet of broadcasting you may be involved in. Um, I probably over prepare. That's how I was taught. Uh, that's what I've always done. But My feeling is you can never be overprepared. And I have a checklist that I go through no matter what game I'm working, whether it's an NFL game on a Sunday afternoon, an NHL game on the radio, an NHL game on national TV, uh, an NBA game, a Major League Baseball game. I have a checklist, and that includes uh, watching prior games played by each team. Sometimes it's hard uh, when you're busy running around the country doing other events, but I always try and watch at least a portion of the prior games. Uh, a lot of reading, um, you know, I don't have time to read a lot of books, but I probably read the equivalent of 10 or 15 books every week between, uh, newspapers, publications online, uh, articles that are sent to me, um, that I receive throughout the week, uh, from various resources. I prepare charts and go over statistics. I have a file cabinet to my left where I have about 95% of all the charts from the games that I've worked (laughs) throughout my career. Um, and it, and it's separated by sport. And I go back when I have a team, uh, in a a particular game, I'll go back and pull out the chart from the last one and transfer some of that information over. So, um, every sports different with football, it's really a week long process. I start on Monday morning for the game, the next Sunday, because I might have two teams that I haven't seen all season long, uh, for hockey on the radio. There might be a little less time consumed as far as the preparation, because, I'm around the Rangers frequently. You you know your own team so well, so you're focusing primarily on the other team, but you do go to practices and coach press conferences uh, in all the sports as well. So to me, preparation is the key. And uh, if you don't like to read, uh, I would not advise getting into uh, play-by-play because you're going to be doing a lot of it.
0: (laughs) Do you think of certain situations that are going to present themselves during a game – um, how different moments may unfold or certain like, teams, how they play? Are you thinking of, of words you're going to use, vocabulary you're going to use? How are you going to describe a play that's happening? Do you ever give it that much thought or it's, it's live and I'm just going to go with it the best I can and kind of recall? You know, Some guys have a catchphrase. Some guys have a thing they like to use. But do you give yourself like in, in the back of your mind, oh, the team plays this way. Maybe I should be careful on how I present this.
1: Not really. I mean, if there's a team uh, in football, for example, that uh, uses the no huddle offense, that plays quickly, you have to be aware, uh, you know, as far as the chemistry with your analysts, you don't want them to be talking into a play. uh, In hockey, if a team's on a power play and they're going to have the puck in the offensive zone, you want to make sure the play-by-play guy is in control at those times. But as far as using certain words or catchphrases in, in key situations, you don't really think about that too often now when i was younger when i was in high school and college i would listen to so many uh broadcasters from around the country um especially on the radio we didn't have cable tv believe it or not until i was 18 in our area so i was a big radio listener and back then i would keep lists i would write down the key phrases um you know for example from hockey broadcasters uh puck is in the corner far side in the slot right point uh, just inside the blue line you know all the different phrases that you might use, uh, basketball, near corner, far corner, top of the key, foul line extended, um, just to just to become familiar uh, with all of the different phrases and then you would incorporate those into your own broadcasts. Um, I wouldn't say that I've done that in recent years uh, with all the reps and the experience. It's kind of locked in in your head. But in the early years, I definitely would make lists of the phrases used by many, many different broadcasters, and you would kind of narrow it down and come up with your own style.
0: Now, you work with different uh, you know, color analysts throughout your, you know, your week when you're doing games. Um, how do you create a good chemistry? Is that hard to do?
1: I might hold the record. I think I've worked with over 225 color analysts in the various sports, <laughs> some of them, many of them for only one or two games and others for 10 or 15 years. So you develop the chemistry. Um, I can honestly say I've never worked with a color analyst that I did not uh enjoy working with and i guess i'm I'm real lucky in that respect and you know i don't want to leave anybody out but you know in hockey i've, I've worked with the best of the best uh john davidson eddie olchek joe micheletty uh pierre maguire brian boucher uh, dave maloney sal messina right on down the line um you know, in basketball i get to work 15 or 20 games a year with with the legendary walt clyde frazier in baseball, I worked about 30 or 40 games with, with Tim McCarver, who, in my mind, is the greatest of all time uh, on the baseball side. In football, I've worked games with, with Troy Aikman and, and Joe Namath, uh, Moose Johnston for 10 years, um, guys like Brian Baldinger and Tim Green, Anthony Munoz, uh, Rondé Barber, my current partner, Jonathan Vilmas. So uh, the list goes on and on, and, and you do develop that chemistry I try to do some research on my color analysts before the first time I ever work with each and every one of them, because you want to be able to reference uh, teams they played on games that they were a part of uh, whenever we have a saints game now with Jonathan Vilma. Uh, I'll try to lead them into discussion about uh, last year when drew Brees was still an active player about their chess matches in practice, going back and forth uh, up against one another. Um, if, a, if, if a, if I were working a game in the past uh, involving John Gruden coaching, for example, Rondé Barber won a Super Bowl playing for Gruden. So I try to uh, lead him into anecdotes and stories. When I worked with Moose Johnston and Tony Saragusa, they were both Super Bowl champions. So you try and lead them into a certain direction. So, um, you know, I study the analysts. And uh, like I said, I've worked with over 225 and, and can't think of one that I did not enjoy working with. So I guess in that sense, I've been real lucky
0: difference between calling a game on the radio and calling a game on TV?
1: Big difference. Um, Radio, you have to be the eyes and ears. You have to describe everything because the listeners can't see it. Uh, So it's a lot more play-by-play commentary. On TV, you could pull back. You don't have to describe as much. Um, Also, the score and time is not uh, obviously uh, seen by the radio listeners as it is when they're watching (laughs) a game on television. So you do have to give the time and score a lot more often uh, when doing a game on radio. I've, I've done mostly hockey on radio. I've done a couple of games here and there in the other sports in basketball, football and baseball. Uh, So when I bounce back and forth on hockey, uh, I do have to remind myself often uh, uh, to remember whether it's radio or TV and on on the TV side, uh, working with uh, two analysts, Eddie Olchek and Keith Jones now on the, on the Turner games. Um, for about 10 years with Pierre Maguire between the glass or Brian Boucher or Keith Jones or AJ Malesko. Um, you know, there's that nonverbal communication because they're not in the booth with you. And I went through the same thing with Tony Siragusa when he was our sideline analyst on football. I had Moose John stood up in the booth and goose down on the field and you have to gain that chemistry uh, because the third member of your crew is not with you. So there have to be pauses at certain times, and you kind of get to know each other's cadence. Uh, same thing on the hockey games with with Eddie and Jonesy this year.
0: One question I always get asked when, when, I, when, I, when the people see you and other announcers on different sports, how do you keep it all straight? I mean, is it a, <laughs> it's a, you know I, what, what, one, one thing I, I've always been impressed with is how you guys are able to stay on top of everything. And I always tell kids, you're studying for a test, but you don't know the answers to the test. You're, you're right, really, you're, right. you're, you're, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, how do you keep all this, you know, information fluid and, and organized?
1: That last word you use, Chris, that's the key organization. And that's what I always tell these high school and college students. Um, I try to get ahead. If I know I have three or four games in the next week or 10 days, um, you know, I'll put folders together with, with some of my checklists and, and, and the, the past charts that I mentioned earlier. You know, you don't just wait until a day or two before that game. Uh, There is uh, a week-long situation involving the preparation. Uh, For example, this week, as we speak, I have an Edmonton-Pittsburgh hockey game on Wednesday, a Tampa Bay Buccaneers-Atlanta Falcons game on Sunday, and then a Knicks-San Antonio Spurs game on Tuesday. So I've already laid the groundwork. I've pulled out the past charts. I've started to read articles on all the teams uh, started to watch some of the prior games. So uh, three sports for me over the course of the next week. And uh, organization is the key. I got a lot of work done on planes, trains, and automobiles, uh, in hotel rooms. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know how it is at home and there's all kinds of craziness going on and uh, you're trying to get things done around the house and with the family. So fortunately, I'm, a, I'm able to get a lot of work done on the road, uh, whether it's on an airplane or in a hotel or in a taxi going to the airport.
0: Difference between calling a regular season game and a playoff game and let's say a game that there's a championship on the line,
1: how do they vary? The preparation in my mind is not different, but the intensity level obviously goes up both on the ice, field, court, and in the booth. Uh, It does have a different feeling if it's a playoff game, a championship game, a gold medal game. Uh, I've been real fortunate to be involved in uh, playoff games in all four sports, five NFL divisional playoff games. Uh, Stanley Cup final on radio for many years, and then TV last year with NBC, Olympic gold medal hockey games on the men's and women's side. So um, again, to me, the preparation doesn't change. I think back to that Joe DiMaggio quote, uh, he gave it his all every game because there might be somebody in the stands that never watched them before. I kind of feel the same way. Uh, There might be somebody watching or listening to a game uh, involving their favorite team. And that's the most important thing in their life that day, that week. So you want to give it your all in the broadcast booth, but I'm not going to say that there isn't a different feel between a a regular season game and a playoff game because the intensity, uh, you know, definitely uh, you know, the level certainly raises uh, and, and you can feel it in the booth. Um, You know, I remember during that women's gold medal hockey game in 2018 in Pyeongchang, uh, I could feel my heart palpitating a lot faster during overtime and the shootout. uh in the game between the US and Canada uh same thing last year calling the Stanley Cup final uh between Tampa Bay and Montreal game 4 goes to overtime and Tampa Bay has a 3-0 lead in the series so the game could end at any moment and i just found that even though you think you're always at the highest level of concentration uh it, it definitely uh you know was raised a couple of notches because the Stanley Cup could have been won at any time and Montreal wound up scoring the overtime goal, Josh Anderson in that fourth game. So we all went back to Tampa and the cup ended a couple of nights later, uh, down in South Florida.
0: Covering the Olympics, you know, that's coming at you every single day. Um, how different is that when you're doing an Olympics and just doing the one sport?
1: Well, I've had the real good fortune of working, uh, seven Olympics now for NBC five winter Olympics doing men's and women's ice hockey. And, uh, two summer Olympics. I was in Rio working track and field. And then from Stanford, Connecticut, uh, did volleyball and baseball this past summer. Um, you know, when I think back to the Olympic hockey experience, it's so condensed into about a 10 to 12 day window. And we all would work two or three games every day. So you don't get much sleep. You get back from the two games and you're busy preparing for the two games the next day, but you run on adrenaline. You're so excited to be there. And, uh, Again, the Olympic experience is, you know, I've had such a great time and working with tremendous uh, uh, analysts and production folks. So, again, wouldn't trade those experiences in for anything. And um, you might know the story, Chris. Uh, Back in 2002, um, Doc Emmerich and Gary Thorne were the two hockey play-by-play broadcasters hired by NBC. And, unfortunately, Doc had to pull out about a week before uh, his dog was very sick and he did not want to leave his wife home alone for three weeks when he went to Salt Lake city to call Olympic hockey. So, uh, I wound up coming out of the bullpen, uh, filling in for doc in salt lake. And if, if doc's dog doesn't get sick in January of 2002, I might have zero Olympics on the docket right now instead of seven. <laughs> so it it's a work out big sometimes, but. Uh, worked in in torino in 2006 and then vancouver in 10 sochi in 14 uh pyeongchang in 2018 called both the men's and women's uh gold medal games so those are experiences that i'll never forget
0: please join us for part three of three of our series on your favorite streaming platform